0: Alright, hello there everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, as pretty much always. Not always going backwards in time, but for a long time. Now, you go back far enough, I don't... You know, those shows might actually be lost to the digital void, now that I think about it. Eh, neither here nor there. Tonight on the show, last night, UFC 278 emanated from about an hour north of where I currently sit, and, whew, uh, there's some stuff coming out of that we gotta talk about. The main event, main event's probably gonna take the bulk of the time, but I have to point and laugh at a lot of other, other fighters on that card too, because, oh, we'll get to it, um. You know, you know, let me just say this at the top, and I'll get to fighters in particular. Um, I don't... I think there were a lot of fighters who did not respect the altitude here. Like you, you know, you say you're fighting in Mexico City, everybody knows, like, that's in the clouds. That's ridiculously high. You say Denver, everyone knows. Oh, wow, it's a whole mile above sea level. Gotta get prepared for that. Salt Lake's not that much lower than Denver. Uh... It's it's like right around 5,000 feet. I um I think I technically live a little bit more elevated than Salt Lake, and I, I used to live actually higher than Denver. I, I given where I lived specifically, it was just more like up a mountain. That sounds a lot more interesting than it was actually, but yeah. You know, I, so I I used to live like uh again like higher than Denver technically, but I just I think there were a bunch of guys who didn't respect. Uh, the altitude here. And they... It showed. It really did show. So we'll get into the... All the results of that. Uh, then, pretty big weekend for combat sports, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we had uh, the heavyweight boxing... Three of the four major heavyweight boxing titles that were decided. in a rematch between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua. Uh, among other things. So we'll touch a little bit on some of the combat sports stuff from just the weekend... And then just yeah, news, because there's some news. Not a tremendous amount, but there is some. All right. Before we get into the show proper, as always, please do like, comment, subscribe, share. Sharing's the most important. Uh, written review, star rating, whatever you, whatever is available to you on the platform that you are using. If you could do that, would help immensely, because the algorithm doesn't care. We all know this. There's, there's nothing to do, nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. I mean, it's, especially if we're talking like YouTube. The YouTube algorithm has been a self, been like a machine learning entity for like a decade. I mean, even the people at YouTube don't understand how the algorithm works anymore. the, The mythical algorithm works anymore, so. Anything you can do to help the show in that respect is always appreciated. All right. With that out of the way, let's get into it. Your main UFC 278. All right. Again, this took place uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Again, about an hour from where I live. <coughs> and before I get into the fights proper, you know, pretty good crowd. And I was watching this from home. I was not able to attend live, but pretty good crowd. Uh, waited a whole fight before we got the woos, which not the not the full on longest it's been since the woos started in a, at a UFC event, but it's up there. They did still come out, though, and that just always depresses me. Uh, they treated... Dude, they treated Jose Aldo like a king. Like, when he came out, he got the... I'm not sure if it was... He might have got the biggest ovation for a walkout all night. I mean, by the time, like, Rockhold and uh, Costa were done... And that fight was... We'll talk about the fight in particular. That might have been louder, but Aldo got... people got the biggest pop for the entrance. Uh, not for the end, but, I mean, the ending of... Our main event probably was probably surpassed all of it. (laughs) Uh, Nuts. So I just wanted to give so the people from my state a little bit of a shout out there. Good crowd. They were a good crowd. Uh, The the only times they kind of started booing and getting restless, I think it was warranted. Uh. So yeah, solid crowd. Good for them. Dana White after the fact after the fight said, "Yeah, we would like to come back here." I don't believe him. Um, As a general rule, if you're within driving distance of Vegas, the UFC tries not to do shows in those places. They'd just rather you come to Vegas. And Salt Lake is... Eh, you know, it's a few hours. I don't know, what is that, like, four-ish hour drive, give or take? 300 miles. So, yeah, four or five. Somewhere in there, I know because I mean I've done that drive before, Um, so it's very it's very doable to drive to Vegas, do stuff in Vegas, drive back in the same day. It's a long day, but it's very doable. So I mean I'm sure they'll be back at some point, but we're not we're not going to be a priority for them. So Uh, also apparently the Utah not the State Athletic Commission, the Utah Sports Commission. That's it. Sports Authority, Commissioner Authority. I think it's a Commission. Uh, apparently, they're not releasing, you know, purses for, and I just, I don't like that. I'd rather, I'd rather fighter earnings were disclosed as a matter of public record. Uh, so those weren't, but, eh. You know, I, I don't work for the I don't, I do not work for the organization, so I have no say in policy. I just get to express my opinion. Anyway, the main event. Man, I told you guys last week. Not going to be surprised if Kamaru Usman loses. I even said there was no way that Leon Edwards could win that would surprise me. Well, I I said if he just out-wrestled Usman for five rounds, that would surprise me. That didn't happen. If you had had told me that Leon Edwards was going to knock out Kamaru Usman, I would not have been surprised, believe it or not. Leon Edwards is a very good striker. And Usman... He's been hittable. You know, and Colby Covington wobbled him. I mean, not like badly wobbled him, but he affected him with some of his punches. And Covington's not a very powerful striker. He's a volume guy. So would not have been surprised, you know, for Edwards to get the knockout. Would not, again, that, the fact that he won that way, not not even that it was a head kick. That doesn't necessarily surprise me. The totality of circumstances around it, though, made it genuinely shocking. And, And that's, that is not—that's um, not me walking it back, but that is to say, you know, there's there's context to these things. You know, if you set, uh, I mean, if we rewind in time to some of the other very dramatic finishes, you know, if you told people Anderson Silva is going to submit Chael Sonnen, no one would have blinked. Like no one would have thought, like, okay, sure, he can tap him out. If you had told people Chael Sonnen is going to win four and a half rounds a little more than that, and then get caught in a desperation triangle armbar. The, like, then they would have said, Bull, Sonnen's not going to have that much success. No one would have believed it. Then he did, and I mean that fight is what it is. So, if you told me Leon Edwards is going to head kick Kamaru Usman, I'd believe you. If you told me that Leon Edwards was going to win the first round, I would have believed you. And he did here. But you could not have told me that he was going to be down three rounds to one going into the fifth. Lose the majority of the fifth round. Pretty badly. Like, we're not talking ten-eighths here, but comprehensively losing those rounds. And show me his body language and the trajectory of the fight and everything that went into this. And then head kick. And Usman drops like a marionette with the strings cut. Just collapses to the ground. Uh... Phew. The, uh, again, the result in and of itself not terribly shocking. Again, I picked Usman, not me, uh, so I was wrong in that respect. Not walking that back. But when you look at everything that went into that moment, yeah, that's that's pretty shocking. That was you very rarely see that. And for for all the talk about the unpredictability of MMA, and there is a lot of unpredictability in MMA. For all the talk of comebacks in MMA, and there are comebacks in MMA. It's very, very rare that you see someone at the top of the game, and Usman was right near the top, uh, fall like this. You you see them lose. Everybody loses at some point, but it's rare that you see them be winning and be winning comfortably. Not easily, but comfortably. Usman had a comfortable lead on the scorecards. Again, and was winning the fifth. Uh, Everything he was doing was working, for the most part. I mean, we'll talk about the first round in a minute, but... It's rare that you see them get caught like this. Uh, So, I give a lot of credit to Leon Edwards for that. And as for the fight itself... uh, First round, mostly... It starts going Usman's way. You know, Edwards is doing what Edwards does. But... Uh, he gets taken down briefly, bounces back up. They're still in the clinch. And Edwards hits the sneaky little outside reap. And Usman feels himself go down. He tries to, uh, you can kind of see what he does. He tries to go with it and turn this takedown into kind of a lateral drop. Or at least kind of bridge over and sweep once they hit the mat. And he can't, but the fact that he tries to means he winds up basing his legs out to try and gain a little bit more leverage, and that means that Edwards is able to immediately, once he lands on top and technically half guard, he just immediately passes to full mount. Gets the back. uh, Usman hand fights, doesn't get choked, but first round to Edwards. Second round, Usman is a little pissed off. Uh, he He gets back to what he does best. He backs Edwards into the fence, bangs into the body and head, Gets takedowns, gets control. It's a very Kamaru Usman fight. And that's what happens through rounds 2, 3, and 4. It's a lot of rinse and repeat from Usman. Uh, and it works. Edwards gets tired. You can see him get fatigued in the 4th in particular. Edwards was also... A, a combination of Usman's footwork and Edwards deciding he wanted to be on the fence for some reason was constantly getting pushed to the fence... He had pretty good defense with his uh, with his hands, so he'd take a body. Sh- he'd get hit to the body. Usman would throw a couple of punches up top, and it's not that they're not la- they're not landing flush, but they're still kind of connecting. And then would transition to a takedown. Just uh, and Edwards it, it got the takedowns got easier and easier, which is never a good sign. Like if you fight like hell for, to stop the first takedown. The second, uh, and you stop it, but the second one is easier. It's a bad sign. Then the, th- you know, then they're just easier and easier and easier and easier and easier each time. And that was kind of the story here. Like Usman's takedowns were coming easier, and Edwards wasn't quite wall walking with as much urgency. And he, again, he was tired. And was in a. T- this was a tough fight. To start the fifth round, like Edwards looked done on the stool in the fourth round. I mean. Dean Thomas was the was what the analyst the kind of coach slash analyst that they would bring on on occasion. I mean he, and he said they start the fifth round. He says, "Guys, Leon Edwards is broken. You can see it in his body language. You can see it where he was between rounds. If a fighter will not give you eye contact, that's one of the big tells, especially if you're the coach. If they won't look you in the eye, there. Bear in mind, there's certain other medical conditions and whatnot that might prevent this as well." So this is me substituting for Dean here because he's got to make this point very quickly so he speaks very broadly. But like I, I don't do eye contact. Uh, as a general rule. It's part of my neurological makeup. It, it, yeah, you, you don't care. But there, there's reasons that you might not do eye contact but if a fighter, as a gen- general rule, if a fighter is not giving you eye contact when you're coaching them between rounds, it's a bad sign. It's a real bad sign. And he mentioned like, yeah, this—it's a bad sign. You know, it means they're—it means they're ashamed. It means they know what they're doing isn't working. They know they're letting you down. You know, that kind of stuff. And I mean, I think Dean Thomas was right. Look, like he because of how the fight ended, he immediately you know, on Twitter went out and said, you know, I give up on fighting. I don't know anything. And you know, to his credit, I—I uh, I mean, he's got to make this point very quickly. You know, that's the nature of this, and. I'm sure he would be happy to talk about all the things Edwards you know, kind of did right in the setup of the end of the finish, but you know that wasn't exactly what he got to do. you know his, that's not his job. that's not what he was brought on to the broadcast to do, and he w- could only call it like he saw it, and he's not the only one who saw it. you know I when he said that I'm watching this, I'm watching the way Edwards is starting the fifth round like, yeah, that tracks yeah you know, he's he's mentally not quite here, and somewhere. He gets he gets pushed to the fence again. He gets taken down again. He gets up. And somewhere around that point in time, you can see... If you rewatch this, you can kind of see the switch get flipped in Edwards. Like, alright. I might still lose this. But... I'm not... I'm not going to go... I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to just shell up and accept the loss. I'm going to keep trying. I. I and... <sighs> That, that kind of mental fortitude, like, it's one thing to never be broken mentally. That takes an incredible resilience. To be broken and to then, in the midst of the fight, regather yourself like that, that is... That's special stuff, man. Again, never being broken in the first place is its own, is its own breed of special. I don't mean to discount that, but if you can absorb that, be that down, that dejected, I mean, his coach, one of his coaches, like, between rounds four and five, is yelling at him, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get out there and fight. I mean, <laughs> so when Dean Thomas comes out there and says, yeah, the guy looks broken, uh, Edwards' own coaches were like, you're in your head about this. You know, you've, you've got another round. You can still do this. Don't beat yourself. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's uh <laughs> then yeah, he he somehow gathers himself like, all right, I'll take another couple of shots. What the hell? And they're circling in space i don't know I don't know what Usman was doing here. uh his game when it was working was all predicated on pressure, like he needed to be the one going forward. Usman off the back foot is not a terribly compelling fighter. Uh, He's, that's just not where he excels. And they started circling a little bit in open space. And there's this period of, I don't know, 30-ish seconds where neither man's doing a whole lot. And uh, Edward just, all right, shows a little bit of a jab, flashes the cross, he's standing southpaw. Usman like you're supposed to do, goes to slip what he thinks is a left cross. And he's slipping that, he's orthodox, so he's slipping it to his own right, to the outside of the punch. You can slip to the other direction on a left hand, but standing open stances like that, you just kind of taut, go to the outside. And Edwards follows up this punch that's not really a punch, it's more there to induce a reaction and to kind of obscure the line of sight throws a left head kick that lands pretty darn flush and we're done uh genuinely like that that's the most dramatic comeback ever in in, certainly in the ufc maybe in all of mma i'd have to re there's a few pride fights i'd have to really sit down and think about but this is more dramatic than silva sun and i'll i'll tell you why this would, if you reverse the roles in Silva-Sonnen, right? Which I mean, you, Silva's the dominant champion and he's winning and he's winning. And fourth round, Sonnen's the one who pulls it out. That's what you would need to equal this. Look, Edwards was on a long winning streak, but he was not doing what Usman had done. He never lost in the UFC. You know, uh, 15 consecutive wins in the promotion. A win here for Usman would have tied. Uh, Anderson Silva's record for most consecutive wins in the UFC at 16. a guy on that level, on that streak of dominance, again, I said it last week, not even really come close to losing. Not all that... Nobody's come that close to beating Usman. Colby Covington came the closest. No one else has been that close. To be fighting a guy like that, to be down like he was, and in the fifth round, right after... (laughs) commentary mentioned like, yeah, we were, you know, we were writing his obituary for Edwards. Like we were writing him off. You know, they were talking about, you know, maybe he's broken. And maybe at this point his moral victory is not getting finished. And about three seconds or so before the head kick lands, as Edwards is kind of showing more life and starting to press a little bit, John Annick, God bless him. He had a great night last night. Says, you know, nope, that is not, he's, you know, Ed, you know Edwards is not going to look for a moral victory. That is not the cloth from which he is cut. Beat, beat, head kick. It was... I, that's the kind of line you want to script for pro wrestling. It was that good. And that well-timed. Uh, again, a remarkable, dramatic comeback. And an emphatic one. There's no, no ambiguity here, man. Usman out Cold. Uh, heck of a performance from Leon Edwards. Heck of a rebound. Uh, genuinely amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, where they go from here? I assume immediate rematch. Like Usman has. Not only has, does Usman already have a win over Edwards, granted, like 2015, so both very, very different fighters. He also was winning this fight. And he has more than... He's done more than enough, if you look at his body of work, to earn an immediate rematch. Now, this is somewhat... Per, this is, of course, a little bit pursuant to injury and whatnot and some of the other... But... Welterweight... You know, I said this, man. It's, for a long time, I said this last week, like... It's never really been a bad division in the UFC. I got looking at Welterweight at the moment. At... The, at right now, it's still... Pretty darn good. Right? Again, we're like talking fourth worst. Fourth best, rather. Like, at worst. It's still better than light heavyweight. Uh, It's probably... It's better than middleweight. I mean, we're rushing Alex Pereira into a title fight off of like three fights in the UFC. Was it three? Three or two. Either way, like, real short. Uh, And I know there's history there. I know why they're doing it. I mean, I don't even object to that fight being made. I'm just saying, like, if we're talking divisional health, middleweight, yeah, a little bit of a downturn. Heavyweight? I mean, heavyweight's heavyweight. What do you want me to say about it? Welterweight's not exactly in the best spot at the moment. There's some good talent there. But... This shakes up a lot of things about it. I mean, part of the problem was Usman's beaten everybody already, some cases twice. So Edwards on top does open up a few more things, and you've got guys rising at welterweight, but we're kind of in this weird transition period where some of the old guard is dropping, but they haven't been able to get the matches necessarily to make the new blood really shine. So, I mean, you've got Hamzat Shemaev, and... Fair enough, like, he's going to massacre Nate Diaz, and that'll just be awkward. And he might get a title shot off of that. That's going to depend... Again, like, it's going to kind of depend on some outside factors, whether or not Shemaev or Usman gets the next shot. Um, You've got some other guys coming up, and you've got Shavkat Rachmanov, who is... I'm very high on that guy. But... Uh, well, you got Sean Brady, who still needs a little bit of seasoning, but he's done really good work. So, you've just, you were just in this little bit of a turnover phase where a lot of established names are dropping. Other names are rising, but they haven't really supplanted some of the old, all of the older names yet. So, we're just kind of in this weird little state of flux, which is fine. Like, this happens to every division, pretty much. So, nothing, not decrying the state of welterweight. I am just noting that. You could go either way on that. Um, Danny indicated, again, at the post-fight presser that he was thinking about a rematch. Possibly, he said Wembley. He ain't doing Wembley. Like, you're just not. Sorry. We all know. it. Like, you can say it, you're not doing it. But they, uh, they could try to do the third fight between those two in, in London, in the O2, probably. Uh, it's a, a, that's certainly a thought uh yes that's most likely is an, an immediate rematch um once shemaev dis- look i'm gonna I'm going to continue to assume that Shemayev beats Nate diaz with the it, kind of eternal caveat um that's not a given like I'm going to predicate a lot of my assumptions based on that, but like I'll talk about that fight when it's time to really preview the fight until then. Uh, I'm just going to assume... I'm going to speak a lot with that assumption in mind. Uh, So, Shemayev might be able to make... I mean, he's going to make a case, but he's probably going to be stuck out in the cold for at least the... If Usman had won here, then yeah, Shemayev would have been next, but Usman didn't win, and that complicates things. Um, To Usman's credit, he looked pretty good here. You know, he was doing a lot of the stuff that he always does. He had good pressure, powerful punches. He landed some good punches. Nice transitions between his punches and his grappling. His takedown game is still very good. It's it's very unique to him because of some of his uh, health considerations, his knees in particular. He doesn't shoot a lot of traditional double legs, but people give him single legs all the time. Uh, and his fence wrestling is very good. So a lot of the stuff that makes Usman great is still present and accounted for. In fact, if they do an immediate rematch, I might still favor Usman to win. You know, the odds in question here were a bit wide. You know, uh, Edwards was what, like three to one, for almost four to one. Have to double check that exactly and kind of remember how the how that's listed out. But they were they were pretty wide, and I thought I mean. Just, I don't bet, but frankly, if you've got the money to gamble, you know, plus money, that much plus money on Leon Edwards would have been a good value bet. And I don't just say that because he won. Like, that's how reflective are the odds of reality? If you can, and when you can find those slightly wider than reality odds, that tends to be places where you can, where you might want to lay some cash down. Again, don't gamble, not encouraging you to do so, but kind of explaining that. So, we've got a a UK champion for the first time, I think, since Bisbing lost it to GSP. Uh, Curious to see how the rematch goes. Uh, This was not the best fight in the world. Not a bad fight. Not a bad fight at all. But... uh, I mean, it was not nearly the action fight that some of the other fights on this card were. The, the, what, the co-main event in particular was this, we'll talk about it. Like, that was going to be a tough act to follow in terms of just action that got the fans engaged. This didn't have the best action. It had some good stuff and some very interesting stuff. Um, the way Ed, Leon Edwards was hand fighting when they clinched was very interesting. He spent a lot of time trying not to allow Usman to get uh, both arms around him. Not, not even necessarily hands locked but just don't let him secure an over-under. So a lot of kind of head-posting, a lot of wrist-fighting, hand-fighting, trying to arm-drag. A lot of cheating from both guys. Uh, A lot of grabbing inside the gloves. Not as much... In this case, it was not as deliberate as other times I've seen fighters grab inside the glove, but when you hand-fight as much as these guys were hand-fighting, it's just kind of inevitable. Some fence grabs, Uh, Usman got away with more than one fence grab, Edwards had a fence grab or two, like, the style of fight these guys were having, at at a certain point, if the rules aren't enforced, you stop caring. Like, I'm not getting dragged back down to the mat, if I grab the fence, I grab the fence, and the referee can do what the referee is going to do. Or, you know, we're hand fighting, the ref's over there, both, you know, I've got two on one, and I'm pushing your hand down, trying to get it across your body, yeah, I hook inside the glove. It was was just kind of... It's the kind of fight where that stuff happens. Now again, both guys got away with a lot of it. And Herb Herb Dean reprimanded both of them. But needed better control over it. Especially as the fight kind of kept going on. But... There's some interesting clinch fighting from Edwards here. But... yeah, The way he recomposed himself after being so down... Not just physically, not just on the scorecards, but mentally. Like bouncing back from that is hard. So I I give him a lot of credit for that. You know, thus ends a a great run. You know, I'm not saying Usman's going to retire, but his uh you know, that that big run he's on it is it's over. He lost. He can recompose himself. He might get the title back. But you know that that singular push, it was going to end eventually. Everyone's does. But it ended here in pretty dramatic fashion. You know, they don't always end dramatically. Sometimes they end in close fights. Uh, this was this was pretty dramatic. Uh, slightly amusing anecdote on that, uh, to that. You know, I, I've talked before a little bit about the cyclical nature of MMA fandom. I had a few instances on, like, Just watching the MMA community online and whatnot over the last week. The build-up to this and... Just being reminded of the life cycle of most MMA fans. For most fans, it's about five to six years. Somewhere in that vicinity. I mean, I've... I've said this before, I have seen... Like three, if you use that timetable, I've seen about three generations of fans come and go, and some stick around for the lo- some stick around longer, but that's kind of the life cycle. Uh, and uh, two of my brothers are somewhat fans of the sport. They're more on the casual side of things, which is I don't begrudge anyone that. Like if you're if you enjoy the sport on a casual basis, then fine. I I, I genuinely don't care. Enjoy what you enjoy. Enjoy how you enjoy. Cool. But uh, one of them, the slightly more hardcore one, uh, this is the first time I think he's seen in real time a fighter that he, living through the experience of seeing the nigh-invincible fighter felled. And it, it occurs to me, as I was talking with him about it, it does occur to me as a broader thing, for a lot of the current generation of fans, this might be a first for them. You know, anyone that's been around for a long time, and I've been around for a while. You know, I remember the first. I remember pretty vividly the first couple of times I saw fighters I thought were. You know, gods. Saw them lose. Um, You know, Verdum tapping Fedor. I never in a million years, never in a million years would have seen that coming. Uh, The one that really, I mean, as big a fan as I was of Fedor, I also kind of had a better feel for him being a bit older, and I knew how good Verdum was. Like, still, I picked Fedor, expected Fedor to win because he's Fedor. The one that really kind of got me and a lot of other people, I think, um, was when Weidman knocked out Anderson Silva. Like, it's not that you couldn't see Chris Weidman winning, necessarily. I mean, I couldn't. I, I... kind of remember this, actually, the preview that we did on, on this podcast for that event. You know, I was asked, uh, Mark Radlich was hosting at this show at the time, I was just a contributor, and Mark said, you know, there are people looking at Weidman like he can do this, and I believe I said, I think there's just a lot of people who put way too much stock into what GSP says about a guy he's trained with. And you know, lo and behold, George St. Pierre is slightly more knowledgeable about the fight game than I am. Who'd have thought? But I mean, even if you picked Weidman, you never would have thought he was going to knock Anderson out on the feet. Never. Like he. No. Just no. And then it happened. And I remember that. Like I vividly remember that. I might have been covering. I don't know. I don't know if I was covering the event, but I was watching it. I think Mark was covering it. We kind of were switching uh, events at the time, so. But I, I vividly remember that. And I remember waking up the next morning and going... I had this thought. Oh, the sun came up. Like, there's some... There are things that... Especially if you're a fan of this sport. Whenever someone is able to... Become kind of a fixed point in such a chaotic landscape. you, There are some... they, Their success... Becomes tied to like the immutable laws of physics. Like, of course Anderson Silva's gonna Anderson Silva's not gonna get knocked out. Or, you know, the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. Well Anderson got knocked out. And I remember waking up and going, Huh. Yep, that happened. And the world keeps spinning. You know, the World didn't end. Nothing else changed. So similar sensation I've had people I think have that experience more when it's like when you experience deep personal loss than anything of course that is accompanied by more resentment like I remember when my uh, my maternal grandfather passed just driving back home from the funeral and I'm I'm half looking around at the world just going on like it continues and again, like kind of again, there's a degree of resentment that comes with that. Like, how dare you? Don't you understand what just happened? And I, I'm not, enga- I'm not emotionally invested enough in MMA fighters to have that reaction anymore, ever. Actually, like I, I, I've never had that reaction. I've been annoyed by fighters losing because I have, you know, I'm still a fan, but. Yeah, i I've, I've never I'm not that emotionally invested anymore, and it's frankly it's better for my my experience with the sport. But there's a lot of people for whom this is their this might be their first time watching. And Usman again, Usman's a great champion. Jeff Harris ribs me about this on occasion because I think it was Usman's first title defense. Uh, in the aftermath of that one, Jeff called you know, Jeff. Called Kamaru Usman a great champion, and I said, "I can't, I can't call him that after one title defense." Which is just my standard operating procedure about this thing. You have one, you have your title win, which is good, and you have one defense, which is also good. But I, I can't call you, no one's a great champion after one title defense. It doesn't exist. Uh, you know, now. And I don't just, I don't just say this because he lost, but like two fights ago, Kamaru Usman was a great champion. Like he at that point he had the he was always a great fighter, but you have to have a body of work as champion before you are a great champion. Uh, and he was a great champion, you know, again like two fights ago. By that point, he'd established himself as genuinely great champion. And now you know he might be able to get it back. Um... But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, again, great dramatic finish, lovely head kick from Edwards. Edwards delivered a great post-fight speech, by the way. Like that was genuinely a great post-fight speech. So, uh, really dramatic finish to a again a solid main event. Like that might that that might wind up being your knockout of the year. In fact, for a lot of people, it probably will be. Uh, Given the stakes and everything, all the intangibles that go into it, I I have a hard time imagining a bigger knockout. You might get something a bit more spectacular if we get a really flashy technique or whatnot, but when it's all said and done, I don't think that you're going to be hard-pressed to find a knockout that means more under those circumstances than this one did. So, that was your main event. Co-main event! Oh, God. (laughs) Uh... Paulo Costa defeats Luke Rockhold via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. This fight. Um, when I say this was like a movie fight, I mean that as both a high compliment to the fan engagement and an insult to all of the technique. These two guys were gassed after the first. I mean, Rockhold in particular, like Costa was tired. And against any other fighter, he would have looked tired. Against a visibly, like, gassed-out Luke Rockhold, who's bending over, like, when they get time in the fight, he's bending over and putting his hands on his knees. Uh, Rockhold was gassed. But, uh, first round, actually, it's Costa's round. It opens a little bit back and forth. Rockhold's hands actually looked a lot better. Than he has in a long time. He wasn't quite as bladed in his stance, so he wasn't quite as side on. Uh, His right hook had come up tremendously. He caught cost with that a few times. His left kicks have always been powerful. He had a really nice kick, actually, um, that it doesn't see a lot of use in MMA. But uh, if you. This especially works if you're open stance. If you throw that rear leg, instead of going to the inside of your opponent's lead leg, you've got to get close for this. But if you can step close and you can throw that rear leg power kick to your opponent's rear leg, that can have some serious consequences. You don't see it a lot in MMA. You don't even see it that much in kickboxing. You do some. It, it, it's hard. Like It's hard to do. And it requires a little bit more distance management than most people like. And you can't always get open stances. But uh, there's a lot of... If we're talking kickboxing in particular... whatever sta- Part of the reason... part, Not the only reason. Part of the reason so many kickboxers fight in one stance without switching. Not only because it's difficult. But your lead leg winds up being conditioned to take abuse. And... They only... Most kickboxers again, you see them switch when that lead leg is torn up. And their other leg is not as conditioned. You see that very quickly a lot of the time. So if you can find ways... Who was it? Um, I heard somebody talk. uh, Andy Hug. Hug. Hug? Switzerland. I think that's more of a long U. I'll I'll, I'll just go with Hug for the moment. Yeah, Andy Hug was actually really good about this if you followed his... uh, some of his kickboxing exploits. Because... Anytime he got the opportunity, he would step a little bit deep and he would swing his left leg instead of, again, throwing it to the inside of the opponent's lead leg. You throw that power shot all the way around to the front of the thigh of the back leg. And a lot of the guys he fought, their lead leg was conditioned. Their back leg was not. And just a few of those kicks and suddenly they're in real, I think it was Ray Sefo he really took apart that way. Uh, Rob Kamen would do a similar thing. He would kind of throw his uh, some of his, his leg kicks to go across the front of both thighs. Uh, and For the same kind of effect, right? You get the back leg as much as the front, and the back leg's generally not as conditioned to take abuse. So Rockwell hit one of those. Uh, after he got up from being uh, as mu- spending as much time on the mat as he did, Like he got taken down... And Costa was passing his guard pretty easily. He had full mount at one point. Uh, just really nice grappling from Costa. But when Rockhold got up, he fired off like four body kicks in a row that were just mean. Costa did not like those. He reacted badly. But by the second round, they're both tired. Rockhold's more tired. Costa, you know, pressure. Throw some body work. Um, Rockhold had this... <laughs> This great moment that's it's gonna be clipped forever, and it might be turned into some kind of meme. And if so, God bless. Where he just he's circling along the fence, and he just yells at Costa, "F you!" and then drills him with a left hand. Um, Rockhold, like I said, man, Rockhold was with uh, Jason Perillo actually uh, for a, a lot of. He's been with him for a while, or a little bit, and, to work on his boxing, and it paid off, man. If you just look at his hands here. Looked, re- looked pretty darn good. He landed a bunch of one Just couldn't sustain it. Couldn't sustain the offense. Uh, Seems that Rockhold retired after the fight, like, with the best retirement line ever. He's sucking wind. He's emotional. And he just tells Joe Rogan, uh, F, I'm old. There's a lot of profanity. But if he is done, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was the Strikeforce champion, beat Jockeray at a time when nobody expected him to became the u f c champion uh and it, I mean and we don't talk about this enough, man. The beating he gave Chris Weidman seemed to have permanently changed chris Weidman uh I absolutely mean that like he put a beating on Weidman in that fight he's uh yeah I don't know where exactly he might rank in terms of all- time middleweight. he was a very good fighter man he was a great fighter. So if he is done, then, you know, I, yeah, I, I, so, uh, his transformation from unlikable douchebag for a long period of time to his last couple of fights where he was more of a likable douchebag is a really interesting one, uh, but you know, I, I wish him the best in what he does next, man. He's, he's provided me with some quality fights to enjoy over the years. As for Costa, man, Costa was pissed all Like, not- But, like, at the weigh-ins, he was pissed. Apparently, USADA showed up while he was cutting weight to draw blood. Um. Yeah, Dana White, after the fact, said, Yeah, that'll never happen again. You know, I'm just throwing this out there, buddy. If you'd let fighters have any kind of input into- What's going on with Usada? That might have never happened to begin with, but hey, what do I know? Um, you know, Costas still as flawed as ever. He seems he looked he looked more like a middleweight here. If you look at some of his last fights, not just the one that was at light heavyweight, because he got to fight Week and said, "I'm not making 185 fight me at light heavyweight, or you're a bitch." Uh, he's he's always kind of been. But remember when I say big, I don't just like. Um, he looked like he was just carrying around a lot of extra water weight. You know, he looked um, you know thicker, fuller, denser uh, in some of his previous fights. He looks like he's leaned out a little bit here for this one, and you know, good on him if that's what helps him make the cut. Because you, know, you signed to fight at 185, you should make 185. My opinion. Uh, he's... So, if he's... He's still a guy kind of near-ish the top of the division, I still wouldn't like his chances against Whitaker. I wouldn't like... Uh, not just Whitaker. I mean, Adesanya, I think, would beat him again pretty handily. Don't like his chances against Whitaker, either. But, you know, Costa's a guy who very rarely has a boring fight. And this fight, again, they were both gassed. They were both swinging wild. They were cursing at each other. They were talking. It was bloody this was a movie fight not only in the sense that the crowd cared and was involved in the emotional ebbs and flows but in the sense that you if you know anything about fighting you look at the technique and go wow that's not good and there was a lot of that here so uh, yeah, Costa t- is still kind of you know a somewhat relevant player at middleweight at the top of it he's a, he's a relevant player in the division he's a, and then we're talking like at the top he's somewhat relevant so, we'll see where he goes from here next. We got a, we got some stuff at middleweight that needs to shake out, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, next up, oh, this fight made me sad. Mirab Dwellish really defeats Jose Aldo via unanimous decision. Uh, I believe it was, was it 129-28-230-27s? 229-28-130-27, excuse me. Um, Yeah, speaking of, you know... The more the some of the immortal fighters losing I re, man, Connor knocking out Jose Aldo. I remember it. I remember it vividly. This didn't feel like that. This. I don't know if Aldo was just very mindful of the elevation and didn't want to tire himself out with offense or if he's just getting to a point where. He's not quite going to be able to pull the trigger the way he used to. Um, Aldo's defense in this fight was absolutely on point. Dvalish really got no takedowns, none. And if you listen to my preview when I mentioned like why I picked Aldo, you can see in this fight like three fourths of why I picked Aldo. You know, what did what did Marab do here? And I mean this, if we're talking about like how the fight was scored and whatnot, what did Marab do to win this fight? He was slightly more active and had a bit more like cage con- like. Control against the cage. That's it. This is a low activity fight. Not a lot here. Uh, anything Marab through a distance. Aldo pretty much avoided. But Aldo, I mean, he had some nice intercepting knees, but too few. Aldo's offense was just too few and far between. You know, this is the type of fighter that Aldo used to murder. And you know, Aldo's just thirty-five, and he's been fighting for freaking ever. When did Aldo debut? August of 04. So, Aldo's been fighting for almost 20 years. Yeah. You know, and yeah, is 35 all that old? Not especially. Is it old for fighters? It's getting up there, but 35 with 18 years and how many fights? Almost 40 fights? I'm not calling for the man to retire. I'm not. But we're closer to the end than a lot of us might have thought given the way that he fought his last three fights. Like, I think we're a little... This was just... When you think about how much... Like, Aldo didn't need to do all that much more to potentially win this fight, but for whatever reason, it didn't come together. Uh, big win for Marab. Unfortunately, very lackluster win. You know, this wasn't even... To those who might be trying to, who might think to compare this to what Volkanovski did when he fought Aldo, uh, the similarities there, if you watch how the fights play out, are unbearably superficial. Um, Volkanovski did a much better job of diffusing Aldo's offense and was much more effective offensively. Like it wasn't just, oh, he controlled him against the fence. Eh, Volkanovski did some of that, but he did a lot of good work at distance. A lot of good work disrupting. There's a lot of effective offense from Volkanovski in that fight. There's not a lot of effective offense from Marab here. There's just slightly more effective offense from Marab than there was from Aldo. Um, so, Dwallis really takes a step towards the title picture, but it's been mentioned. Like We've got a few different guys that are kind of jockeying for position. You know, Marlon Vera is ahead of him at this point, given how he won versus how Marab won. We've still got Jan and uh, O'Malley to come. We'll still have to see what happens when Sterling fights Dillashaw. We've got Marab saying, I'll never fight Aljamain Sterling, which just complicates things, so who knows? Um, I will say this. My hunch... My hunch? Um, Marlon Vera and Marab dwells really... You could easily main event a pretty big fight night with those two. And I think that should be a five-round fight. Those two... And I think whoever wins between those two would be should be the next in line. But I, I think that's where things are going to land. We got other fights to see how they play out, but that's my hunch. It sucks to see Aldo lose like this. Um, but... Yeah, he got... He, Dude, he got a big reception, Although I told the man, he got the loudest pop for his entrance of anyone all night, from what I could tell. So. Not a great fight, though. Uh right, let's see. Women's bantamweight. The rest of this should go faster. Uh, women's bantamweight. Lucia Pudilova defeated Wu Yanan via elbows from mount and back mount, 404 the second. Wu Yanan is just not very good. Uh, light heavyweights. Thank heavens they got out of here fast, because these two would have had a real hard time after any longer in the cage than they got. Tyson Pedro made very short work of Harry Hunsucker. Uh, stiffs him with a jab, follows up with a uppercut left hook. Then, as Hunsucker's kind of backed off, trying to rebalance, I mean, recompose himself, Pedro just kills him with a front kick to the body. Um, Tyson Pedro, look, we, I said this for a lot of us said this for a while about him. Lot of ability but he would make these really dumb decisions in the middle of a fight that he was winning that would cost him. He should have beat Owen St. Prue. He darn sure should have beat Shogun. And then just trips over himself, basically. Was very good about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Seem He seems to have sorted that out a little bit. Uh, he he you know, was pretty emotional for him. He said this was the first time he's fought in front of fans in a while because... His return fight, because he had that really long layoff while he was dealing with, um, I think it was like a shoulder injury. Like he had a really long layoff when he fought um, Ike Villanueva. Yeah, that was at the apex. So for the first time since he fought Shogun in '18, he got to fight in front of fans. And he apparently has family out here, which uh, not terribly surprising. There's a pretty decently sized Polynesian population here in Utah, so he got to so yeah he was pretty emotional after the fact, so good for him, good win Pedro moving back up uh one of the a, a pretty decent prospect burgeoning contender at light heavyweight, so that was your main card. The top two fights kind of saved it, I and mean, you had a quick finish from Pedro, poodle and Yana, and Wu mostly sucked, but at least finished. Marab and Aldo was what it was, Costa and Rockhold, again, movie fight, and then Edwards with an, an immortal moment, a genuinely immortal moment in his title win. As for the prelims, Marcin Tabora defeated Alexander Romanov via majority decision. There was one 28-28 and two 29-28s. Um, I scored this a draw. I thought Romanov should have had a 10-8 first because... Tabora did not land a single meaningful strike all round, and if you can't land a single meaningful strike, you're on the wrong end of a 10-8. 90% of the time from where I sit. But uh, Romanov gassed himself out. I mean, he was throwing around Tabora, and Tabora's a big boy. Uh, Romanov has had gas tank troubles in the past, so this wasn't just the elevation. The elevation just exacerbated it. Um... But Tabora, you know, rebounded from a tough first round. He's been there, done that. Won the next two. If you didn't give Romanov a 10-8 first, then yeah, Tabora wins. Not a great fight. Um, Guys, putting heavyweights at elevation like this is just mean. Please don't do it. And not just to the fighters, it's mean to the fans. Please don't do it. Uh, Lightweight. Jared Gordon defeated Leonardo Santos for unanimous decision. 30-27 across the boards. At, you know, 40-something, Leonardo Santos. Uh, this was a lot of Jared Gordon's kind of walking him down, banging to the body. Uh, n- not a whole lot here to talk about. Oh, God, this fight. Sean Woodson and Luis Saldana fought to a split draw. There was a 29-27 for each man, and then a 28-28. Saldana was deducted a point in the first round when he illegally kneed Sean Woodson in the head. And this is what leads to the wonky scorecards. So, um, ab baffling decision making by Saldana here. First round, he cracks Sean Woodson with a right hook. He was southpaw at the time, yeah. Right hook. Woodson throws a jab. Saldana counters, bat like drops him, badly hurts him, and. Saldana is so far away. Like, Woodson is almost on the fence. Saldana is so far away back, like, circling toward... Re- like, he got hit with the jab and he was a little bit off balance. Like, he's so far away towards the middle of the cage, he's not even in frame. And then, so we don't actually know what happens. We get a replay after the foul. Like, he's circling back towards the center and he's pointing to the ground and, like, saying, Come on. Like, no! Idiot! You've got this guy hurt. You don't call him on like that when he's that hurt. You go finish. But Woodson regains his feet. He's still badly hurt, mind you. And then Saldana drops him with a jab, and he falls bad. Like, if if Saldana does not do what he does in a second, the ref probably stops this fight just based on how Woodson fell from that punch. But he drops him and postures with his hands, hands up like, yeah... Goes in. Woodson's up on a knee. Kind of trying to get back up after being dropped flat on his back. And Saldana knees him in the head. There is no ambiguity about this. The you know, Joe Rogan. Um, he and Cormier got it together by the time we got to the last couple of fights. But here, the first, like I knew what happened. Everyone knew what happened. The first like replay we see of this is from a... Slightly different angle, and Rogan goes, wait, that I think that hit him in the chest. Then we get the another angle that is dead on, and there is no ambiguity here, knee to head. Um, Woodson does not take that much time, actually. Uh, he took the whole break here, including the point deduction, lasted about a minute 40. Um, and then after that, like, I, I mean, Saldana thinks he's won, right? He's dropped him. He throws this knee. The ref pulls him away. He thinks he's won. He jumps on the cage. There's an adrenaline dump associated with that that probably contributed to him being tired and the altitude. The next two rounds are just awkward. I guess it's genuinely awkward fighting. Um, I wound up scoring this for Woodson because I gave Saldana a 10-8 in the first. Because he essentially knocked Woodson out twice. Point deduction, 9-8. I gave Woodson the next two rounds. So, he wins the decision. Um, this fight sucked down the stretch, but if you just want to see some baffling decision making, I don't mm. know what Saldana was thinking. Um, welterweights, Angeloza defeated A.J. Fletcher via unanimous decision, 29-27, and then 2 29-28s. This is a pretty good fight, actually. Um, Fletcher's kind of rolling in the first round. Things are going his way. And then Losa gets a read on his timing. And a little bit of the distance and starts cracking him with right hands. And Fletcher's head movement is not great. He starts making a comeback. Fletcher rebounds a bit in the second. Uh, hurts Loza pretty badly, actually. <laughs> then... Uh... Third round, we get a takedown, and they're both just so tired that they just sit. Like, Losa's on top and half guard, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to do just enough to keep the ref from making me stand back up. And Fletcher's like, all right, I don't have the energy to really get up from here. But the first two rounds were okay. But, like, these two, again, there were a few people that I thought didn't respect the altitude. You know, Woodson and Saldana, I don't think, respected it. Losa and Fletcher, I don't think, respected it. Um, fight we'll get to in a second between Orichi Long and Jay Perrin Like the, your bantam weights All Right. heavyweights get gassed at sea level of course they're going to get gassed up here you guys should have known better but as for the early prelims Amir Albazi defeated Francisco Figueiredo rear naked choke 434 the first nice finish here actually from Albazi he transitions to the back, and his left arm is nearly in choking position from the, like the ride. So he he doesn't want that opportunity to be to be lost. So he starts overloading Figueroa's defensive responsibilities. He starts landing rights as he gets his hooks in, and you can't defend all of that. So he uh, Figueroa. Half tries to fight off the hooks a little bit. Half tries to block the punches. None of which addresses the potential choking arm. Figure uh, Albazi gets the back. And suddenly, oh, I'm being choked. Uh, it was kind of slick. I appreciated that from Albazi. Mentioned it before, but uh, Orici Long defeated Jay Perrin. The unanimous decision. 29-28 across the board. First two to Orici Long. Third to Perrin. Fun little fight, but again, like they both, they both got tired down the stretch. And kicking everything off, Victor, Victor, Victor Altamirano defeated Daniel Da De Silva via TKO uh, mounted punches like from the ground, punches and elbows 339 to the first. Da Silva had a lot of moments here, man. He hurt Altamirano with some strikes, but Altamirano got a takedown and Da Silva was just happy to play guard, not defending himself and tired. And a little, Oh, he, sorry, not just a takedown. He got hurt with a knee to the body. Um, Altamirano hit a really nice knee to the body, actually, that facilitated that. Uh, De Silva never quite got his wind back. Altamirano just on top, able to posture up and avoid a few arm bars, keep landing punches and elbows, and eventually just broke, uh, De Silva down. That was a good way to get the night started. So, that was the event. Uh, you know, again, this was a, this was an okay card on paper. There were some fighters that just... I don't think they respected the altitude. I really don't. And the, some of the fights wound up sucking. So, but top two delivered at least. So there was that. All right. Your bonuses. Once again, we are not. We are no longer privy for whatever reason to the crypto.com fans, uh popularity contest. Uh, I don't know. It's just not being reported. I guess. Um, <laughs> sure. Maybe because crypto's not worth what it used to be worth. Mandy, uh, very briefly, Francis and God are airing a little bit of laundry uh, related to that. You see this on Twitter, and God is saying, "Yeah, that crypto.com thing cost me a million-dollar sponsorship deal." <laughs> and bear in mind, also, you know, the the fighters see none of the crypto stuff. Like none of that. The, the crypto.com pays the UFC a lot of money to be featured on the fighters' walkout gear. The fighters see none of that. Uh, But hey, screwing over your champions. Uh, Your post-fight bonuses, fight of the night, Costa and Rockhold. No objection there. Again, it's sloppy as heck, especially down the stretch, but it's engaging. Performances go to Leon Edwards and Victor Altamirano. Um, Pedro got done a little dirty there. Uh, like I, I would have gone with Tyson Pedro because that front kick to the body was nasty over what Altamirano did, but I shouldn't say he got done dirty. Just not what I would have done. But that was the event. That was UFC 278. The end of a potential, of a, you know, a truly top-tier run in the UFC in terms of the undefeated streak of Kamaru Usman. Uh new champion. Darn good. So... When it was all said and done, definitely influenced by the way the last two fights played out, uh, I, I was okay with this. So, bear in mind, I am well aware that there was stuff on here that was not all that good. I'm very aware of that. But, when it ended, I was okay with it. So... If you want my full report, including my live round-by-round scoring and whatnot, that is in the MMAZona411mania.com, so please do check that out. As always, I appreciate it. All right, let's talk a little bit of other combat sports. Uh, let's see. Let's start with AJ and Usyk. So we had the rematch between Alexander Usyk, who has three of the four major heavyweight belts, and former champion Anthony Joshua. Um, they fought this time in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and both made, apparently the site fee for both guys, right around 35 million bucks. (sighs) Yeah. And you wonder why some MMA fighters are like, hey, let me go box. Can't imagine why. Can't imagine why. Um, this was a good fight. It was very, it was similar to their first fight in a lot of respects, but there was a lot of difference in nuance. Um, Joshua got started a lot faster. In fact, I think he won the first round. So Usyk wins this fight by split decision, and screw the judge who gave this to Joshua, by the way. I think it was Glenn Feldman, who had a scorecard of 115-113 for Joshua. I hope you enjoy whatever car they gave you for that scorecard, buddy. That's ridiculous. That is an absolutely ludicrous scorecard. Shame on you. Genuine shame on you. Should not be able. Like, even you even get Teddy like Teddy Atlas gets a little bit heated at times, but he rarely will do the never let that guy judge a fight again thing. And even he was like, "What? Never let that guy judge a fight." Uh, but AJ started a little bit better. Started with some more body work, which was good. Like, he's, he struggles with the footwork of Usyk and the movement, so going to the body is a good way to kind of mitigate that. Usyk, just the better boxer, got a feel for the timing better, uh, quicker. I mean, ultimately I was... Was I 9-3? to three? I was either 9-3 or 8-4 for Usyk um, when I was watching this. Now, granted, I didn't get to watch it in tremendous detail because this started around the time... The, the main event started around the time the UFC fight uh, prelim started, so... And much as I would rather have watched Usyk and AJ than... You know, some of the... Than, you know, Orici Long and Jay Perrin, I... Uh, my job is to cover the UFC event, not to cover the boxing event. So I'm going to go back and re-watch that fight uh, in the near future because I want to. But AJ's body work, a little bit better... Um, the problem he ran into was he got a little bit too—he got flat on his feet pretty quick. Uh, he still struggles with the movement and timing of Usyk. He heard him—he heard Usyk at one point. Um, was it the ninth? I think it was the ninth round. He catches Usyk with a solid right hand. Then there's one in like I want to say the tenth where he catches Usyk again. But Usyk rallies back in that round and actually does the better work over the course of it and backs Joshua up with a couple of lefts. Um, Joshua got a little bit too set in the weapons he was looking for. He kept looking for the right uppercut because Usyk does a lot of level changing with his head. And he just got predictable with it. Um, you know, Usyk's just the better boxer. Uh, so good. I was worried they were going to screw him. I was so worried they were going to screw Usyk out of this one. Uh, thankfully, they didn't. Uh, the right guy won. Um, if you want something genuinely baffling, try listening to uh, Joshua's post-fight promo, which was... Yeesh. Don't give that... This is why, if you're the... This is one of the things they tell you. If you're the reporter, if you're the interviewer, never give up the mic. Do not let the other guy take physical possession of the microphone. AJ got a hold of it. Can't let him do it. Um, Tyson Fury came out on social media and said, yes, I will. Uh, I'm interested in fighting Usyk. Good. We might finally get a four-belt unified champion at heavyweight. Um, I'm going to say this about Fury and Usyk. My uh, my friend, Pat Mullen, who has forgotten more about boxing than most of us will ever know, mentioned something that, you know, the way Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder in their third fight, the most recent one, if he tried to fight either Anthony Joshua or Alexander Usyk like that, both Joshua and Usyk would beat him. I think he's right. I'm not just, I'm not just deferring to someone whose expertise I respect. I genuinely agree with him. That said, Tyson Fury is more than a capable enough fighter to understand that you can't fight Usyk the same way you fight Wilder. My inclination, as it currently sits, is to favor Fury over Usyk. But that's a potentially very good fight. I think the size disparity is just going to be too much. Like Tyson Fury is an enormous man, and he knows how to fight like a big man. Um, it's one of the knocks on Joshua, actually, that he never quite figured out how to fight like a guy his size. So, but we can potentially look forward to Fury and Usyk. I look for, I hope it happens. Um, also in the combat sports space, over in Bare Knuckle, uh, Mike Perry defeats uh, MVP Michael Venom Page, which is hilarious by the way. Um, Perry gets a knockdown in. I think it was the first, it was the first, I want to say it was the first round. Gets a knockdown because Bare Knuckle uh, uses the same scoring criteria as boxing, an immediate 10-8. Um, We get a draw after five. And this was a little bit of a missed call by the ref. This should have been a a knockdown for MVP in the fifth. Uh, Bit of a blown call there. But we get to a sudden... So there's a provision apparently in BKFC for a sudden death round in the event of a draw. So we go to a sixth round, sudden death. Perry wins that round. Both guys were lumped up. I mean, it's bare knuckle, like... Yeah, you get cut up and lumped up, and it's not pretty. Um, but this was just... <laughs> you know, Jack Slack always likes taking the piss out of MVP because... Not because he dislikes Paige, but because Paige was so for so long like a pet project of Bellator. So his line was like, you know, it's amazing to me that... <laughs> This is before the fight. That you, Mike Perry is the third, is legitimately the third best striker that Page has fought. <laughs> Which is so funny, because Perry's not a good striker. Like, that's what he's known for. And he's got power, but he's not a very good striker. And I was like, no, scratch that. He's the best. He's the best striker Page has fought. I mean, I don't dislike uh, Page either, but if you look at his career in Bellator... There's so many years that are just wasted when he's just puttering around fighting cans. He he does take a few steps up in competition. He does win some bigger fights. He loses some bigger fights. But the majority of it is just treading water with this fighting guys who are clearly not on his level so he can look spectacular and then they never capitalize on it. He almost never takes a big step up. Or he does, and then he loses, gets out-wrestled by Paul Daly, and then we're back to can-crushing for a year. And they they just wasted so much time with that guy. Uh, I mean, uh, Perry called out Jake Paul after the fight, like, that ain't happening. Um, Perry's not a big enough name to get Jake Paul at this point. At this point, Jake Paul is looking to fight a legitimate boxer. Um, not necessarily a good one he doesn't he's not necessarily looking to fight a you know world class top ranked fighter but he's looking he's not necessarily looking for another washed up mma guy at this point he's looking for someone like tommy fury you know he's looking for a legitimate boxer who is more or less commensurate with his skill level but is somewhat known that provide that he should be able to beat and I've said I said this after the last Tommy Fury fight like yeah I think Jake Paul probably beats him. That's still true. But he's I don't think he's looking for another you know semi notable former MMA guy to fight and he's not going to fight bare knuckle. Like they're not going to pay him what he's worth. So, but that took place. Um there were a few other boxing matches that I, I don't, I, don't know, I just don't think they need too much discussion here. Uh the PFL Had an event. Uh, The only real notable thing, we're getting another fight between uh, Kayla Harrison and Larissa Pacheco. Another finals between them. Dude, Kayla Harrison's a monster. And she is... It's a little bit clear that she's not terribly happy to be in PFL. Um, For those of you who don't know, when her contract was up, I think earlier this year or last year, um, PFL had matching rights. So if she got a big offer from another group... If they match... And this is how matching rights work. If they... If you... If you get matching rights... Like, that doesn't mean you have to exceed the offer. You have to meet it, and then they stay with you. Well, at least that's how hers worked. So, whatever, I think it was Bellator. Like, both the UFC and Bellator were somewhat interested. Um, I believe it was Bellator that made her... A, like, the more legitimate offer. But it wouldn't... Like, the UFC, again, they were interested. But whichever was the bigger offer... She, you then disclose this is what I was offered, and this is vetted, and then the PFL said, "Fine, we'll match that, and your your services stay with us." And that's how that works. Like whether she wants to be there or not, that's how the contract worked. I don't know if that's what her current deal now is, if she, but like she was looking for bigger fights. In fact, she said after the fight, like, I'm the best, I'm the best female fighter in the world," and if those, if those have. Uh, but if those three Brazilian ladies will get up will take off their track shoes they'll find out I'm um, referring to cyborg Nunes, I forget who the other one is but uh look she she is almost certainly going to beat Larissa Pacheco again. she's gonna win another million dollars, so you know, good for her to keep adding the bank account i do I would like to see her fight a stiffer level of opposition. Uh, And at the moment, the PFL just doesn't have it. That's just reality. So uh, that's my other stuff from around the world of combat sports for the week. Um, Let's move on to news then, shall we? Get a little bit of news here. Um, This one came a little bit of a surprise, but Shane Burgos is now with the PFL. Um, Dana White was not happy about this, by the way. Uh, He was asked about it. And said, yeah, we screwed up. Mistakes were made on our end. He's not going into details. Um, and there's a lot of kind of nuance to how these, some of these things happen behind the scenes. There could have been any number of things here. But he um, he said, like, the most he was, when asked about it, like he said, you know, he was not shown the respect he deserved. Now, whether that's, you know, he was not happy, Burgos was not happy with some of the tenor of conversation, or purely monetary... Like, I'm, Burgos is an action fighter. He's, he is appointment viewing. Like, Shane Burgos is appointment viewing fighting. You watch that guy fight. Uh, So he's going to be in PFL for at least one season. He's going to be fighting at lightweight. Because feather, making featherweight that frequently on that schedule is just not terribly feasible, which, understandable. I like his chances. Not to guarantee, mind you, but I like his chances. So, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Let's see, we got some other little bit of matches being made here in news. So let's talk about a couple of events that are starting to take shape. UFC 279 is a bit of a, it's a bit weird at this point. There are currently, this is is the September 10th card. Set to be headlined by Hamzat Shemaev and Nate Diaz. It's not a very strong card. Top to bottom. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Just feel free to trust me on this one not a strong card. At the moment, there are 15 fights announced for it, and I want to punch somebody. Don't do this. Uh, the news that came out this last week, though, was an interesting one um, in what I will assume is the co-main event. I'm going to assume this. A welterweight fight between Li Jing-Liang... And El Kukui Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson trying to reinvent himself at his age up at Welterweight is uh, it's a little odd. I'm not sure how much I like his chances. And Li Leong, I've said this about... Look, Lee doesn't get a tremendous amount of hype. And he's had a couple of losses at key moments that have derailed it. But that guy is a tough fighter he has some big wins on his resume man he knocked out santiago ponzinibbio he stopped muslim salikov in his last fight he stopped elizio zaleski dos santos but look, dos santos and ponzinibbio were two guys who were derailed by injury and other people avoiding them and lee stopped both of them he's a very good fighter Uh, That's a rough fight for Tony. It's a rough fight. But we don't need 15 fights for that card, guys. We just don't. Please don't do this. Um, Also, getting a little bit of shape. um, UFC 281. We got some more fights announced for that one. So we've mentioned a couple of these already. uh, But main event, Adesanya and Pereira. Co-main event, Esparza and Zhang. I expect Zhang to win the title back. Uh, Molly McCann and Aaron Blanchfield will take place on that card. I double check Blanchfield real fast. This might be a legitimate step up, um, but I don't know. I I don't enjoy the McCann shtick. I just don't. If you do, God bless. I don't. Uh, we also got a few other fights announced for that card. Uh, Dominic Reyes versus Ryan Span. Um, this is a Big spot for Reyes, man. He's on a three-fight losing streak. A lot of people thought he beat John Jones. I did not score that fight for him live, but I am certainly sympathetic to the notion that... Look, I'm sympathetic to the notion if you thought he won. I think if you scored the fight as a whole, he probably won. And when it was done, despite scoring it for John round by round, I got done with that fight and thought Reyes probably won. Um, but then he got stopped by Jan Blachowicz, and he got knocked out brutally by Yuri Prochocka. He needs, he needs to write the ship. And Ryan Spann is no joke. Like, light heavyweight's not a great division. But Span's pretty legit. Like, his, his UFC losses are to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. Um, he, he's not a, he's not a cakewalk. Uh, Featherweight, uh, Michael Trezano, and Sung Moo Choi. Hey, the Korean Superboy. Wait, is that the Korean Superboy? No, no, no. That's Duho Choi, Sung Moo Choi, Sting. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't dislike Choi. That uh, that, that divide doesn't do a whole lot for me. Ooh, lightweights, Brad Riddell and Hanato Moicano. Yeah, hell yeah, that's a good one. That's a good fight. And Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus Silvana Gomez Juarez. Eh. Uh Mercado and Riddell, like that that that's a good one. That's a good one. So two hundred eighty one shaping up. The UFC tries to put a really good foot forward when they go back to MSG, so. Um anything Oh, good grief. Is two hundred eighty really that big? I mean I know some of these oh man why so I'm just looking at UFC 280 and we've got currently announced now some of these might move but currently we have 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 fights don't do this especially with two title fights there are two title fights on this card. Why are you putting 15 fights on it? Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, why? I'm convinced the UFC hates its fans. Like, I've mentioned this before. Like, not only is the UFC... Not only is the yearly schedule designed to burn you out... Like, if this is part of the reason the life cycle of MMA fans is so short. If you watch every event... Like, that's a lot! That's a lot of time you put into this. That's a lot of money you put into this. If you watch every fight on every event, boy, are you going to get burned out in a hurry. Oh, God. Don't do that. Just don't. not be that hard. 12 fights is fine. 15 is way too many. Alright, uh, there is no UFC event this coming week. I don't know what I will do with my Saturday off, but I will think of something. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy news-wise is broken. If not, we will do plugs and then get out of here. Nope, nothing MMA-related, so... What do I got this week? My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW if they release something on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. On the podcasting side of things... Last week, Mark Rylance and I got together, and we reviewed *Prey*, the new, latest entry into the Predator franchise. We yelled at critics, giving this thing entirely too much praise, because it's, eh. But people praise this like it's the second coming of the Godfather. I, I, uh, I hate film critics. I hate so many of them. They're just not good at their jobs. Uh, this week, Mark and I will talk about the Netflix movie, The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling and Ana de Armas, because we're trying to make her a thing for some reason, and uh, Chris Evans, Billy Bob Thornton's in there too. Yeah, so we will review that movie, uh, I'll give you a preview, it stinks. <laughs> Did not care for that film. But we'll have a full review of that coming up on Tuesday over on Damn You Hollywood. Wherever you're listening to this, if you search Damn You Hollywood, you will probably find my movie review podcast. So be on the lookout for that if you're so inclined. Next week, we will be back here. No UFC event to review. However, we will be previewing the UFC's debut in France. This is the September 3rd card. Headlined by Cyril Gane and Tai Tuivasa. Also Robert Whittaker, Marvin Vittori. Alessio Dikirico versus Roman Kopulov. How's that card looking, by the way? Let me just take a quick look at it. Charles Rodan and Nathaniel Wood's a good fight. Um, Bastardine Imovov, I'm a little bit high on. He fights Walking Buckley. It's a lot of the European contingent. Not exclusively, but a lot of it. Uh, that's not a bad card. Yeah, you know, your top two fights are pretty darn good, actually. Gone into Ivasa, Whitaker, Vittori; those are perfectly good fights. So, we will preview that next week. See if anything's changed between now and then. Uh, we'll find out. Until then, as always, I thank you very much for listening. Stay safe out there, and continue to be well. Be safe and behave.